Hi, welcome back to the Form 3 Power and Payments Podcasts. Uh, I'm joined by Peter from KPMG, and this is part two of our NPA podcast series. Um, in the first part, we talked around what's in it for the, the participants, looking more holistically at strategy. Uh, this session, we're going to consider a bit more on the practicalities of how do we get to NPA. So, Peter, welcome back. Thanks, Joe. Good to be chatting again. Stuff. So, the, from a migration perspective, I've, a lot of conversations I've had with existing FPS participants is, what do we do? How do we get there? Um, what does the migration program actually look like? And I think the the participants that grab the bull by the horns went early have taken advantage that the faster payments program by moving to provider like Form 3, can actually decouple the technical program of readiness for MPA from the actual migration itself. So simplifying the overall uh, program, not waiting until all of the specifications have been ironed out and the full scope has been defined. Form 3's role in in that migration is to to simplify the the technical uh, operation of running parallel schemes. Um, that window of opportunity is still open for participants who haven't yet made a move. Um, but it's something where it's getting shorter and shorter in terms of time for something to happen, which will leave a, a pure NPA play. Um, that itself brings complications to a participant running parallel schemes. Have you had conversations with, with banks who have uh, understood that or do you think it's still not that clear? within the industry of what the migration means yeah it's it's it's, it's certainly top of top of the agendas of the kind of you know cios that i'm talking to and the, the program delivery teams um but i think what a couple of realizations here one this we've done this before as an industry and a number of banks financial institutions are used to migrating large scale either across their own technology stacks or to new standards etc so it's saying that don't don't be scared we can we can do this um, secondly, going to your point is this is a longer term journey and we've really got to think about actually, yes, this is FPS and how quickly can we move from um, FPS to MPA. But secondly, think, okay, what's next after that? BAX is going to quickly come after that. So actually, that's about that migration journey, which is going to be complex as well, given how embedded BAX is to you know, a number of direct and indirect institutions uh, as well as corporates. But I think banks need to be thinking about, okay, we've got to manage two interfaces at the same time. But again, going to your point, there's people like yourselves that can support that and take some of that technical challenges away from the clients. Um, Yes, we're going to have two sets of standards at the same time with with the new ISO and the old ones as well. But again, there's technology can help us support this so the banks can focus on delivering what they want to the clients and not some of the plumbing in the middle to be able to do that. Um, the other part, which you know, working with you know, treasuring liquidity is okay. There's different settlement cycles for these that are going to be in the future, so we're we'll running different settlement cycles during this parallel running. Um, so how that's done, just just thinking about how the liquidity to that run and bringing those parts of the bank on board early are again really important. But again, going to the point I think we said in the last podcast, Stuart, was getting going now thinking about these things and planning these things over this marathon is super important. Yeah, absolutely. I think from a, the strategic view of do banks move payment processing into the cloud, for example, um, that in itself has the eye of the regulator on it. So there are some regulatory considerations that banks have. Um, cloud concentration risk is one of them. So critical infrastructure providers, critical third-party providers, 
um, is clearly going to be focusing the mines. Um, and there are opportunities to harness multi-cloud type capabilities to mitigate those risks. Um, that's definitely something that needs to be factored into a, a migration program. Uh, make sure that all parties are happy with the, the extent of the resilience and scalability of the, the platforms they may be moving to. Um, there's also an aspect around sequencing and the, the different priorities, the RTGS replacement, for example, that's, that's something that I hear a lot. Um, you know, this is, this is one of many things we have to do. And you say we, banks should be getting on with the MPA planning now. They should be mobilising. Um, do you see there being kind of real challenges that will pr possibly prevent MPA happening in the timelines that everyone hopes? Um, or do you, do you think it can be achieved and therefore moving early is paramount for these banks? Yeah, it's, it's it, given my couple of decades in payments, I think this is probably the, the busiest it's ever been from a, the volume of change. You know, as you said, around we've got CBPR plus, you know, obviously time is a time slightly move there. Um, RTGS, um, SEPA instant, MPA, plus other reg pressures will get to come out of the woodwork. So it's significant volume of change. And there's no hiding away from that. Um, but I think it's the ones that are doing really well are managing very clearly as a full kind of payment modernization program and going, actually, how do we how do we transform this and making sure we are competitive in the market, that we are offering the best products to our clients? Um, how are we doing multi-cloud? Um, how are we making sure we have the best resilience and availability that, that anyone has globally? Um, and doing that and having those conversations now um, because it is there is a lot of sequencing to be done. Um, yeah, I've been working with a number of clients on what does that roadmap look like, roadmap look like for the next five years? And it's, it's, it's mind-blowingly large, but not unachievable. But the key is how can they make it, how can we all make it easy for ourselves or easier by partnering with the right people, by planning early, and by thinking about what the strategy is to be able to deliver a really great end product, because ultimately there's a bunch of customers at the end, corporate, government and retail, that want to be able to use this and great, great innovation off the back of it. Um, and I think how we get into that planning and, and partner with you know, a number of organisations to do that is, is, is paramount. That's a really interesting point. Um, the, the MPA programme primarily has been focused at the existing FPS participants. So those banks connected to the faster payment scheme today that have the, this mandatory migration across to NPA, um, that's only a small part of the market. There are, um, the considerations then, I guess, can expand out onto the indirect agencies, those sponsored without direct connectivity. Um, MPA changes the game in terms of the payment types. Uh, it changes the opportunities that they actually potentially have. And as you mentioned, payment transformation and strategy, the approach that's taken, it would be very prudent for those indirect agencies to consider NPA, what it means for them. What is their real-time payment strategy for the UK? Will there be changes from a sponsorship perspective that open up the ability to be directly connected, even if not self-settling? Um, or do organisations want to move to settling? Um, there's definitely uh, a consideration in the industry for that, as well as the closing window of opportunity, I suppose, that they have to join now, get become part of the party now before the MPA transition happens. Because um, 
I don't know what your views are. Personally, I think there's likely to be a, a fairly protracted period of time where no one can join because there is a dual running, a parallel running of two schemes. That transition is happening. So do you think um, these direct agencies should act now or should they sit on their hands until 2026, 27 uh, and see what NPA uh, brings for them at that point? And I think, Stuart, we need to go back to the kind of original vision for what the NPA will do. You know, when all that effort was put back in 2017, you go, what is the real vision for this? And it is multi-layered. It is the ability for more direct participants and it is innovation. Um, and all that means actually as great as, I think it's 30, 38-ish, um, direct connected right now to FPS. But there's no reason, and they should be thinking about all those who indirectly but actually want to innovate more directly in the future, want to offer great products, want to have that ability to um, you know, adapt quickly to the market, thinking about going directly. And we've seen that in many other countries who put you know, new ISO stands in place across their real-time payment platforms, allowing that innovation by non-traditional players sometimes to be able to directly connect. And so it doesn't have to be a direct settler um, and, and the extra kind of you know, governance that brings through it. But having a think now to go, okay, what does the future roadmap look like for me? Is it the right time for me to be, as an organisation, connecting directly? Um, and so they can really leverage that. Um, so the time, you know, there's no time like the present, Stuart, on this one. And given these journeys take time and you want to have a voice, um, the time to have that voice is kind of, you know, jumping on the bandwagon now. I totally agree. I totally agree. So we look forward to hearing from all the indirect agencies who wish to uh, look at payment modernization, look to take things forwards. I'm sure KPMG do as well. So, Peter, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, fascinating talking to you as always. Uh, look forward to uh, next discussions we'll have uh, on the future of MPA going forward. Yeah, look forward to catching up again. Thanks, Joe.